Hey gang, this is Nathan. Uh, you may be wondering why there's no boo 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 boops or anything like that going on right now. Well, we have been using some new recording software to do these episodes. Uh, since we're not used to doing collaborations with people, we're used to being a two man show. Um, and part of that has been uh, a rash of technical difficulties. And in this week's episode of Technical Difficulty Theater, we lost the first like two and a half to three minutes of this week's episode. Uh, thankfully, we miss not a whole heck of a lot. It is the introductions, which I am Nathan, that's David, Shigmani 2 is over there, you now are familiar with everybody, uh, but that being said, we are missing uh, the beginning of a discussion on uh, some updates that happened on Uvalde, um, namely the release of the video showing uh, the cops standing around doing nothing, uh, as is their want, as is their design, um, and and the video with the line of, of children's screams removed. Um, obviously traumatizing stuff, uh, not something we want to miss, um, but in this instance, we are going to do a, just a little detour. We're just going to miss that. Uh, that's the only thing that we had missed, and then the rest of the episode is here fully intact for your enjoyment. Um, sorry again for the, for the technical difficulties, but here we go. And in media res, start. Yeah, it's it's again the just seeing that video with the screams of children removed was just that that was probably the most uh, haunting image from the last couple weeks that I've had to process. Yeah, I just not good. Not good. Moving on to equally bright and sunny news, though. It is extremely bright and sunny in Europe, and specifically in Spain. Uh, A little bit bit on the too bright and sunny side, I would say, They're on fire again. That's That's too bright and sunny. Put it plainly. Too much. Um, That's that's where I draw the line. You don't respect the Earth. You're going to hear the answer back. Right. I mean, climate change is is just a lack of respect for the earth. It's a lack of respect that the earth gives its life. It's a feeling of invincibility, that we're above nature, that we're not part of it, that we're not part of the ecosystem. And we are ravaging and destroying it for profit. And I say we as as, as humankind, not like me and Nathan person. We're not exactly or, or uh, Shumani too. We're not. Yeah. <laughs> I watch these guys. They just tear out trees everywhere they go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've been clear cutting. <laughs> I've been single handedly clear cutting all of Western Missouri by myself. It is my mission. <laughs> um, but. I mean, you know, honestly, we we as a species and specifically capitalists and the colonial and capitalist um, structure handlers of that structure and benefactors of that structure um, have been destroying the planet with no respect for the far part, uh, no respect for the fact they're part of the planet. And when you don't respect that, when you don't have that humility as a species, even if it's a small number of bad actors with way too much power, you know, you're you can't dictate that. Those the things are going to change, and and we as a species are going to get punished. And Europe, you know, the content that regenerated a lot of this stuff is on fire. Which is always uh, intrigue. It was. It used to be that it was always Australia that was on fire, and now it's moved to Europe, oh. always being on fire. And uh, America, the western at least part of America, seems to always be on fire. A lot of fire. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you know the trajectory of climate change. More it's fires, been, it's, more it's severe been... storms, more <laughs> yeah you know, hurricanes. Uh, it's 
it's amazing that this summer with record heat waves, just globally, like record heat waves globally is scary. It's not like record heat waves on a certain continent or in a certain region. It's globally. Um, that shouldn't happen. That should not happen. No, no, no. And it so long the thing was like, oh, that's where they changed the name from global warming to ch- climate change. No, we changed it because you idiots couldn't understand that the effect didn't mean that it was going to be 10 degrees hotter every day. It meant that climate is going to rear back at you because the ice caps have melted and the earth is being destroyed. But now... Now all those smart asses, they can't say anything, but they don't care. They'll just change the their story. Cycles. Yeah, that's the right. It's cycles. How, do, how do you know this is man-made or something bullshit like that? It's not Anthropocene. Nope. Yeah. yeah I just... I don't even know. I don't know. I'll go that with sounded it. Like, that I, sounded like some new tropic that Joe Rogan would be trying to sell me. So, I, I mean, it, it might be. I don't know. This is the uh, anthro pill. It makes you more human. <laughs> Make you a giga chick. <laughs> you see the oh. Chad meme? I can literally make you it. <laughs> okay, anyway. Anyway, but long long story short, that stuff is not getting covered, and that is what we are in for with climate change. And, of course, this is all happening while sanctions are causing a food and fuel shortage um, across Europe. And so people, I mean, people are roaring back everywhere in the world. But unfortunately in Europe, so a lot of the global south, especially uh, in Latin America, we're seeing a lot of general strikes. Uh, and in a second here, we can even get to Sri Lanka, and where we've seen people just oust the president, which was pretty fantastic and incredible. I mean, they they took over the presidential palace, and it it Sweet pool it was kind of like taking over the winter palace type stuff. It was <laughs> people were swimming in pools and all kinds of stuff. I wonder um, how the winter palace went. I wish there was cameras. Yeah. In yeah, oh I god, that would have been so that. good. Yeah, like people taking shits on the czar's desk. <laughs> You know somebody did it, you know. Oh, yeah. Somebody had to. Somebody took home a few chandeliers, you know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> going to go great in the hut. <laughs> but, um, um, but we can could, we could get back to that if if we want, if we feel like tapping into it. I mean, long story short, of course, you know, that that was not a rising up because they're getting closer to China, like the Western press will, will push. And, and China even taking over that port, they didn't really take it over. They took over the Canadian loan that Sri Lanka defaulted on. Um, but I don't know if we need to get into that in this. this um, it's just that, you know, across the global south, you're seeing those occupation and general strikes. You can go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say Beyonce is probably a bigger cause to Sri Lanka than China is. <laughs> literally a sweatshop yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Like, I think Jeffree Star packages makeup there or something like oh, that. You know, oh, that that would make sense. That would make yeah, sense. People I, I, utilize in Sri they, Lanka. they have a very right-wing, free-market, neoliberal structure, which is really what caused people to rise up there so much faster than other places. That, and they've been organizing stuff for years. You know, There was a... a really bad um, anti-terror law passed in 2019, right when this uh, president that just got ousted went into office. Who was, he was the brother of a previous president. Um, So, I mean, like, basically the last 20 years had been these brothers with, like, a three-year gap. Um, And and he got ousted pretty badly. But, yeah, so this stuff's been working on for a long time. I mean, organizing is how this happens. It doesn't happen spontaneously. Um, But what I was going to say is... Terrifyingly, in Europe, uh, and a lot of people are seeing farmers rise up. I think people need to understand the difference between a farmer and a farm worker. 
Um, there's a lot of small farmers that do their own farming. They're the one dude that 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 does the land in in a lot of countries. But in most places, um, especially Europe and, and America, there's landowners, the quote unquote farmers, and then there's the farm workers, the people actually providing you food. And your comrades are the farm workers, the quote unquote farmers. They are the bourgeoisie, and they're generally very, very fascistic. I mean, this is people like, for example, not understanding the kulaks back in the Soviet Union. It's the same kind of thing. Right. And so people see these cool videos of like shit being sprayed on government buildings. Those aren't the people pushing back against like the fuel prices and stuff. Right. Those are the people pushing back against the farm regulations to make sure people get food that won't make them as much profit. Those are AstroTurf bullshit. And and we should not be looking up to those European farmer uprisings. Yeah, that one I had seen a little bit that early on that was a little bit confusing, but I hope that the general the general tenor of that is that people seem to have gotten the deal that this is not some uh mass protest. Well, never mind. The, the Pat Sox haven't got the idea yet. They they Yeah, no, no, they, no. no. They, they, they they see everything that's <laughs> John Deere is actually on our side. We need to be against the union. <laughs> We're not sectarian. We're not sectarian. <laughs> I fucking hate the left right now. It's so uh, it's, it is. So it is a, It's so. I, I, it's so goddamn. I will say we we're not here just rat, uh, rip on people, but I will rip on potsies all the time. So <laughs> is that what they're being called? Is that I, what that's the, what they should be called? Patriotic they're now socialists. The, that's they're now the the sidekick from Happy Days. <laughs> oh, I gotta write that one down. <laughs> Need that one. Um, well, that being said, we are going to get into the reading for this week. Uh, we are going to be starting fresh on page 10 in the Red Deal. Um, and we will start with... Way downtown. <laughs> five, five a day, guys. We're going to pick up the pace, we promise. But we got, we got to get this content in. Uh, elsewhere, it was an engineered nightmare. In the Navajo Nation, Indian agents slaughtered more than half the reservation's livestock. This included about half a million sheep that provided not only income and food, but which had also been integrated as a central facet of the Diné culture and worldview. It was a top-down environmental conservation plan that came directly from Washington, D.C., with the logic that settlers can manage. Oh, that settlers can manage native lands and live and lives better than native people. This is a historic issue with with conservation movements in this country. In 1933, FDR authorized the National Industrial Recovery Act, and with it, an Army Corps of Engineers project to construct the Fort Peck Dam on the Missouri River, providing employment for 10,000 white workers to pull Montana's economy out of the gutter. Hailed as a beacon of progress and a savior of the region, hydroelectricity was the era's shimmering renewable energy. The largest dam on Earth at the time of its completion, Fort Peck removed 350 Dakota, Nakota, and... Assiniboine. Uh, nope, nope. Uh, Shimani too. Assiniboine. There you go. There you go. Assiniboine families from the Fort Peck Indian Reservation. Life's first ever cover story featured a photo spread of the dam's transient work camp, capturing the rugged ethos of the time. One photo depicted a well-dressed white woman taking a shot of liquor at a bar. Above her hung a portrait of FDR captioned, A Gallant Leader, next to a sign that read, No Beer Sold to Indians. Oh my god, fuck you. 
The photo captures the racial apartheid system in public places of leisure, work, and everyday life, Indian reservations, Indian reservations kept in place at that time. Fort Peck's success galvanized widespread support for the 1944 Pick-Sloan Plan, which aimed to provide post-war employment by authorizing the Army Corps of Engineers to construct five earthen-rolled hydroelectric dams on the Missouri River. To make way for the dams, an entire river ecosystem was destroyed, and more than a thousand Native families were removed. In the Fort Berthold Reservation, four-fifths of the tribe was removed, and 94% of their agricultural lands were flooded. In Lakota and Dakota communities, 75% of the indigenous plant and wildlife was destroyed. 90% of commercial timber was lost, and one-third of the reservation-based populations were removed, all for hydroelectric power in far-off cities, irrigation for settler farmers, and flood control for downriver states. It was a convergence of the military-industrial complex, a recolonization of native lands and waters by a branch of the military through near wartime levels of economic and political mobilization. And so, like, uh, this is sort of like a, this unspoken part of, like, racial violence against us. And, you know, um, almost... Well, because, like, understanding the nature of the settler colonial state, you know, you have to take us out in order to, to keep get the land, right? Um, on days like the 4th of July, we risk violence for merely existing, whereas, like, with these dams and stuff, we risk violence for existing in the wrong place, apparently. You know? Um, and it's just like, oh, that that'd be a nice you know, valley for water to trickle down into. Like, it's just a smart place to put a, you know, your your village, yeah. I feel like. Uh, <laughs> if you're, like, looking for it. Pretty, but, like, uh, pretty we common sense. mentioned... Right, yeah, exactly. It's common sense. But, like, uh, we mentioned the patriotic socialists, and they love the FDR, right? They... <laughs> Ooh, oh, they... They love that white worker excellence and the, you know, <laughs> Eugene Debs is great or whatever. I don't really care. I don't care about Eugene Debs. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, reality, you know, this is just obfuscating, like, huge acts of genocide. So, for example, uh, they gave, uh, you know, the Pick Sloan plan, which later on we'll talk about the results of that but setting up for that you also had the winter dam project and the winter dam um is a dam they set up without warning the tribal people and it ended up flooding and killing everybody basically there's some survivors and there were like a hundred or two hundred and three or something like that when i per chance discovered who they were and so, like, I just, like, learned this horrible history, like, at the, in the early days of uh, the podcast, like, three years ago or whatever. And, like, I, I just couldn't believe that, you know, this, we're just chill about that, you know? Like, I mean, AIM actually protested it and stuff like that. But, you know, where was the, you know, huge support, like, Wounded Knee got? Well, actually, this is all before Wounded Knee, but... You know, like, there's a bunch of different examples of protests that AIM started back in the day that nobody actually really joined in on besides Native people and, like, other oppressed peoples. So it's just, you know, like, 
there's there's this common um, hunt, I guess, for Indians to remove us from the land so they can take the land. And unfortunately, a lot of people are participating in that by... Um, I wouldn't say participating in it, but... the. <laughs> They're definitely not participating in anything. If you catch my drift, you know? yeah, yeah, not but, not stopping it, not fighting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Maybe you should get involved, you know, and like maybe help yeah. us against them. I don't, I don't know. That's yeah, no. Well, and that's no, and that's a that's a perfect example because that's not something that very many people know about, and it's kind of ridiculous that we don't, right? You know, we we learn about our own history and we learn about all kinds of history and that's just washed away that's part of the whitewashing of history and it goes paired with the idea of like pristine nature and and conservation that was mentioned here right like untouched by human nature it's like people have been living here for thousands of years there's no untouched continent right but when you see like these parks and these these conservation sites and stuff it's this idea that like you just need to get people out and 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 nature be nature and it's like people are part of nature and what what makes it seem distinct is that we're not treating ourselves like part of nature that goes back to the climate change and the the over uh consumption uh, talks we had earlier in the current events, right? There's not a difference between people and nature. There's a difference between people respecting nature and people thinking they're above it. That's it. Yeah. People thinking that God gave us all the animals and plants to have dominion over. That's <laughs> where it's the Bible verse that, yeah, that there, comes it, from. It's right there. It's right wow. there. They were Uh-oh. like. What what should we do when trying to justify murdering all these people? Oh, well, we'll only look in Genesis and then call them savages. Anyway. Found it! Oh, God. Ah, continuing on page 11. But Pick Sloan didn't happen in a vacuum. It was part of a broader national energy infrastructure development plan. In the 1930s, the Bonneville, Johnny Day, John Day, and Dallas dams on the Columbia River flooded Nez Perez, Umatia, Nez Perce, thank you, thank you, Umatia, Yakima, and Warm Springs lands. In 1955, the Kinzua Dam in New York forcibly dislocated more than 600 Seneca. And an energy sacrifice zone, the Nixon-era term coined by the National Academy of Sciences, described the Shoshone and Paiute, 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 thank you, lands taken for nuclear testing, yeah, uh uh-huh, at the Nevada test site, a 1,360-square-mile reservation that was bombed 928 times, nearly half the world's nuclear explosions. The world-ending atomic bomb was created in a secret, in secret, atop a sacred Tewa Pueblo Mesa at Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. It was tested on native lands, and the United States became the first and only nation to drop the bomb. The horrors of Nagasaki and Hiroshima were a warning to the rest of the world: fall in line or else. Scientists who maintained the doomsday clock set its hands one minute and 40 seconds to midnight in 2020, the closest humanity has been to global catastrophe since the clock's creation in 1947. The two main factors contributing to this threat, experts warn, are global warming and nuclear risk. The atomic age and climate change were made possible by settler colonialism and indigenous genocide. The spirit of these times frequently gets forgotten. Freedom for some is unfreedom for others. 
the legacy of the New Deal, which required the plundering of indigenous lands to keep a settler economy afloat, cannot be the plan for the rest of the planet. Nations of the global south cannot follow the same path of development as the north in their pursuit of climate equity because the atmosphere has become colonized, disallowing the path for industrialization and development the global north has followed. The unequal distribution of power and suffering is literally in the molecules we breathe and drink. The burden of transition lies at the feet of those most responsible for carbon emission-driven climate change, not those most imperiled by it. The energy consumption of the global north, especially in the United States and Europe, has to be radically curtailed, not subsidized by more green energy. The amounts of resources, ex the amount of resource extraction to facilitate this transition, such as the acquisition of lithium for rechargeable batteries, will come at the expense of other nations who have been historically denied the technology to develop their own resources for the benefit of their people. The United States, more than any other country, owes a huge share of the climate debt that should be paid, which should be taken from the massive surplus of resources used to militarize the planet and stockpile nuclear weapons to help nations of the global south develop sustainably and according to their own values and processes. I, I think that is one of the more succinct, succinct, succinct and vital paragraphs in the book because you can't it, it's something that that the, the book is here to preach and we try to preach all the time you can't just go renewable energy renewable energy renewable energy because those resources have to come from somewhere right and additionally there's no neutral on a moving train if you start the global south behind us they can never catch up right inequality will, will further separate you have to get rid of the system get rid of the consumption allow global south countries to develop on their own and then roll back our energy consumption and the number one way to roll it back is not telling someone like poor who's just driving enough to get to work how dare they have air conditioning in 100 degree heat it's to scale back the fucking military it's to scale back the cops it's to take away the yachts and and than for the more comfortable people to, to scale back as well. Just get a Tesla. <laughs> oh, yeah, obviously. Duh. I, God, uh, it solves everything. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, you're thinking too hard about this. Just buy, That's right. just buy a new thing. That yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so at, we are starting in the next section. Does someone want to take, start off on the next section, decolonization? <clears throat> I've been called on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in this era of catastrophic climate change, why is it easier for some to imagine the end of fossil fuels th than settler colonialism? To imagine green economies, carbon-free wind and solar energy, and electric bullet train utopias, but not the return of indigenous lands? Why is it easier to imagine the end of the world, a zombie apocalypse, than the end of capitalism? It's not an either-or scenario. Ending settler colonialism and capitalism and returning indigenous lands are all possible and necessary. The question of restoring indigenous land to indigenous people is thoroughly political, which means the theft of it was, and is, not inevitable or beyond our current capacities to resolve. The same goes for black reparations, ending the hardening of U.S. border, the defunding of U.S. imperialism, and stopping the continued exploitation of resources and labor in the global south by countries up north. Up north. Sorry. <laughs> it's just such a folksy way to say that. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you folks up north here, you know, hanging out. It's just like you could tell like some native folks are out there. <laughs> so, <but> yeah, <laughs> up north. 
<laughs> Where's up north? You know, above. I don't know. Hi, <laughs> hi. Um, the issue is that accumulation-based societies don't like the answers we come up with because they are not quick technological fixes. They are not easy. Michi. Saji. I don't speak Anishinaabe. Anishinaabe. Surprisingly, neither does anyone else on this podcast. Barasama Sake, Soke, Sake, Simpson has said, gosh, I. But so the settler left sort of has this tendency to prescribe their shortcomings as everyone else's, despite, you know, um, there's this ignorance. Um, to the class consciousness of the lumpen and colonized populations from the same, you know, um, tendency I'm speaking of. I'm not going to, like, throw all of the settler left under the bus, but I'm not going to really make that clarification. So, No, I... I, I... I understand because this this is something that people see, right? They they see themselves as as like surrounded by people that are difficult to re- radicalize or have reactionary views still, um, and they think that's all working class people because they get in this like white working class people, the only working class people mode, and then they excuse it because in colonized nations, like you've said, there's different class characters, right? There's, you know, socialists and liberals and conservatives, even in groups of of colonized people, so they'll find that, oh, reactionary colonized people exist, and it's, aha, you know, it's all working class people must be reactionary, and, and you have to come to the middle and meet their reactionary views, and it's a bunch of shit. It's just throwing part of the people that we need to have solidarity with under the bus because you're too lazy to fight these things or change your views but uh in regards to the you know know, why is it easier to imagine um peace that i think is probably derived from exegex um why is it easier to imagine the end of capitalism uh the end of the world than capitalism um but i was once told by this uh marxist sci-fi writer that one day with cyborg technology, we'll, we will even overcome bread, which to me, I've never, I've never once thought about overcoming bread. Like, I, I, I used to be a baker, a chef, and a butcher, and that's sort of like how I connect with my community and stuff like that. Is by, you know, like, cooking and stuff and feeding people. And bread is, like, such a basis of feeding the working class, you know what I mean? Oh, oh yeah, and bread, because it's such a base food, it's it's a proxy for food. But whenever people talk about bread, they're usually not talking about, you know, you don't say, like, get that bread or, or the people need, you know, bread and, and, and um, you know... Uh, anything else right like bread and circus throws them off that's always a stand-in for food that's always a stand-in for the resources you need and food is it's it's vital not only to survive and you're never going to get rid of it but it's such an important part of of socializing it's such an important part of carry-on culture it's it's it it can be a part of people's personalities too why the hell would you want to try to get rid of that not to mention like it's just so utopian to be like no, 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 no. The best thing for workers is if we just gave up eating. You know, something that, like, very simply causes us, like, neurons to fire in our brain and make us go, 
a happy chemical. Yeah, you know, like, why would we get rid of that? <laughs> what if we just ate the bugs? Just listen to the capitalists and eat bugs, and we'll all be good. Be a perfect okay, world. But to be fair, try some bugs, though. It actually oh. isn't that bad. I, yeah, I'm. I'm not saying that. Actually, I they they make some bug chips which are good, but they cost a little too much money. Bug oh, yeah. chips? Sure, yeah, I like, guess. It's just bugs pressed in potato chips. And it's just like that. Like it was like that chips. whole oh, sure. that whole yeah, soylent yeah. craze that that head off where everyone yeah. was like, "I'm just gonna make one drink, and I just gotta drink this one drink because food. I don't need food that gets in the way, so I'll drink my my one little bland vanilla drink, and that'll get me all my calories I need for this meal." Moving That's on. Like the yeah. kind of people that eat Hot Pockets every day for lunch. A, a Hot Pocket has some culinary... A, a Hot Pocket harkens back to something. It's a low-grade calzone. Harkens back? I get it. It's not classy. There's it's not melty, happy. schmelty cheese. That's all. But it's a low-grade... That's a low-grade calzone. <laughs> so, people that are like, I want a flavorless gloop that I can pour into my face three times a day so that I can keep working up more hours more efficiently. No, I have no respect for you. Maybe they got a lot of video games to play. I get, no, they get their G fuel. I've seen Twitch. I know how this works. They're all okay. jacked up on that G fuel. Is <laughs> this G fuel? <laughs> 50 years ago, decolonization Nations freeing themselves from colonial rule and land reform inspired global visions for a socialist future, advancing the class struggle further than it has ever gone before by raising the living standards of billions in the global south. Some Western socialists seem to have abandoned the future in favor of technological pipe dreams like mining asteroids, gene editing, excuse me, and synthetic meat without addressing the real problem of overconsumption in the global north, which is directly enabled by the dispossession of indigenous and black life and imperial... Um, wait, what? Which is directly enabled by the dispossession of indigenous and black life and imperial wars in the global south. Okay, I don't know why that sentence is reading weird to me. But anyway, we need a revolution of values that recenters relationships to one another and the earth over profits. I, I think that sentence was just weird because it needs a comma there, but it's, it's okay. you know, yeah, there's the disposition of indigenous black life, stop, and imperial wars in the global south. Okay. It reads yeah. like the dispossession of imperial wars, and that is weird. Yeah, that's what I was like. I was like, uh, okay. Anyway. Moving on to the next subheading, anti-imperialism. David, do you want to do some reading? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the geopolitical relationship countries like the United States have with the rest of the world is deeply intertwined with settler colonialism. Imperial projects build upon settler colonial ones. For the last 20 years, we've seen the United States destroy countries and communities in a quest for oil. The invasion of Iraq in 2003 was for oil. Again, People still try to dispute this, the, and, and you were laughed out of the room if you said this at the time. The invasion of Iraq was for oil. This isn't hard. Um, cultural treasures from one of the oldest civilizations on the planet were destroyed in the first days of the invasion, but the U.S. military and its mercenary contractors chose to guard oil infrastructure. U.S. oil companies secured contractors with the provisional government and the U.S. installed after it deposed Saddam Hussein and the Ba'ath Party. Those who recognized the U.S.'s geopolitical motivation for the war soon called for energy independence in the United States instead of anti-imperialism. 
Consequently, Republicans and Democrats spent much of the 2000s promoting oil and gas expansion in the United States and Canada, and this is translated into new oil and gas production on stolen indigenous lands. And let's keep in mind that there was black market sales of these precious artifacts amongst the ruling class, resulting in Hobby Lobby owning a collection of ancient artifacts, including the Tablet of Gilgamesh. It's what? just like what? a fucked up fact to what? add into this. <laughs> yeah. Who yeah. kind of blew past that? Hobby Lobby owns the Tablet of Gilgamesh? Not anymore. Yeah. There were some lawsuits, but... Yeah, but they, they did, God. and a lot of their funds, a lot of stuff they were buying at one point was coming from ISIS, too. So Hobby Lobby was directly funding ISIS. Um, but it was, like, to purchase more of these artifacts. Uh, but like they had already CIA, bought... CIA, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, this black market was a lot like the drug trafficking, where, you know, the U.S. institutions were so against it, and, oh my God, these are our enemies, and, oh, by the way, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, we're going we're gonna to grease the wheels of this market and get it selling and, and skim some money off of it, right? Um, and you saw this, right? You saw the U.S. military, uh, Tom Cotton, one of the biggest right-wing goons, um, in in the government right now, of course, uh, was in Iraq, and there's a very famous photo of him when they were basically stealing a bunch of Iraqi gold, and he's sitting in the fucking gold, yep. right? I mean, they, they plundered the shit out of that country. Oh, yeah. Crusades. Oh, yeah. Of the new era. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um Former U.S. Presidents George Bush, uh, George W. Bush and Barack Obama supported fossil fuels as the best path towards energy independence, which was also heralded as a means to achieve economic stability and improve homeland security. But, God, that, those last two words just... Mm. Homeland security mm. should send chills up your spine. Um, both presidents cracked down on nations that strayed from the dictates of U.S. hegemony. In 2002, Bush sponsored a coup d'etat against Venezuela's democratically elected president, Hugo Chavez, who came to power on a promise to nationalize the corrupt oil sector to fund national infrastructure and poverty relief, program, relief programs for the poor. When Obama assumed office in January 2009, he continued Bush's sanctions against Venezuela and other nations deemed hostile to U.S. interests. Obama considered natural gas fracking an alternative to coal and oil, and he challenged China's subsidies to its national solar industry that would lower the cost of solar production across the world. Like the dams that pulled the nation out of the Great Depression in the 1930s, fracking rigs pulled the nation out of the Great Recession of 2008. Obama was an imperialist first, a supporter of green energy second. Um, and did people... No, oh, go, go. I, no. Oh, I was going to say, well... I, I wasn't sure where you were about to go. I was, I was just going to touch on fracking itself. I was going to ask if people know oh, what fracking okay. is. Oh, uh, I would. Oh, geez, I guess. I yeah, I, I mean, considered like, I, but the listeners spray a probably bunch don't. Of water into the ground to free up natural gas and stuff like that. It's super. Expensive. Which of course destroys, destroys, the water, the destroys the water, destroys the ground. Yeah, ruins destroys the water, and uh, you know, kills life. Um, mm. here on Earth, like, all, and what's all, left, all of it. What's left back is these horrible dry strips of land too behind it. It's it's like with it's like these weird stripes. It's nasty. Yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, you were gonna like, say something. I cut you off. Well, I was gonna say that uh, Obama did achieve uh, fuel independence, and like I think a lot of people aren't aware of that because the right kind of obfuscates how OPEC works. So that way they can blame, like, Biden and shit for high gas prices. So so maybe, you know, we should be upset at the right-wing oil titans 
that fund the Republican Party. I don't know. Anyway, that's that just... That seems uh, like a reasonable position to take at any time in any point in history. Yeah, well, yeah. Right, and that's just, like, something I'd like to add in to, like, provide a little more context. And then also, um, you know, when this was written, it probably was about when uh, the failed coup in Venezuela happened that failed because <laughs> the idiots fucking posted it on Twitter. But that's something we should point out, that yeah. these idiots keep doing these coup attempts and, yeah, wasn't it? Uh, it was. It was like twelve mercenaries or something. And some farmers or some fishermen caught them, mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. Some fishermen. Was, yeah, they were like, "What? The these guys aren't right." What? Yeah, they're like, "Oh yeah, we put a bunch of chum on them and uh, held them out for the sharks." Or like, what, the, what kind of cartoon shit is that? Uh, I did. I did like the photo where they were all handcuffed because they had been caught. The one guy like pissed himself. Oh my god! <laughs> like, you little babies. Imagine I'm gonna go lead a coup. Well, that also reminds me of like uh, people probably forgot about this, but back in the day, um, Rand Paul fucking tried to like lead a group of like twelve men to overthrow Dominica Republic, something like that. I well, did not, forget about this. I had no not idea what himself, the but he funded it. So like a bunch of like commemor like commemorative coins for him, his presidential run that never happened. Frickin', or it happened and failed, uh, ended up funding this, and like they had a bunch of the coins on them, and every single one of the people were like, uh, yeah, that motherfucker set us up. Rampal oh, wow. was the one who told us to do this shit. Oh, like, it's like, why was there never a charge or anything <laughs> against him? Like, what the we fuck? Oh, my God. Coups. We just do, everyone's allowed to do a little coup every now and again, it seems like. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, the whole goal was to set up a white supremacist island nation, too. Jeez, jeez, I had a slave population. God, I had no idea about that, but that that sounds that sounds like like Rand. Yep, glad his neighbor kicked his ass before he. And he... what white supremacist <laughs> bullshit? Yeah, right. But what white supremacist bullshit where you're like, yeah, with twelve dudes. We'll do I know this entire nation. The movie Three Hundred has really given people false expectations about what a small group of white <laughs> folks can get done when they set their minds to it. Uh, and I, I take, I, I call Zack Snyder out for that. <laughs> I'm still going with he was inspired by Fire Festival. So, <laughs> uh, anyway, increasingly there is a direct link to the ongoing Venezuelan crisis and oil production in North America. When global oil prices began to fall due to North American oil boom, a crisis ensued in Venezuela, and the money used to fund the social progress of the country's poorest was all but halted. Around that time, Obama-era pro-oil and gas energy policies began to take hold in 2008 during the Great Recession. Global oil prices rapidly fell. This was partially due to the United States and Canada building new carbon infrastructure to drill and transport oil from production to market. This oil boom has wreaked havoc on indigenous nations. With the creation of oil pipelines, the tar sands dead zones, fracking rigs and refineries, locking in settler economies to drill at the expense of indigenous lands and lives. Meanwhile, the boom weaned the U.S. economy from oil imported from countries like Venezuela, whose major buyer was the United States. But the alternative source of oil is much worse. Both the United States and Canada drilled their economies out of the gutter by producing the dirtiest oil in the world from tar sands and fracking rigs, either on indigenous treaty lands or next door to indigenous communities. 
each subsequent proposal for new carbon infrastructures like oil pipelines not only deepens the climate crisis and locks in carbon consumption, it aims to crush Venezuela. Why target Venezuela? It partially has to do with its oil reserves, but it also has to do with the threat it poses an economic and social alternative to neoliberal capitalism. Venezuelans brought the Bolivarian Revolution into power, which in turn increased the participation on social, economic, and political life of indigenous peoples, women, LGBTQ2 LGBTQ spirit plus people, black communities, and poor people. The nation's oil wealth was redistributed to the lowest sectors of society, and while for a moment the U.S.-backed coup to oust democratically elected president of Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, seemed imminent, people took to the streets and to the countryside to defend these hard-fought gains. The Bolivarian Revolution represents a possible alternative to neoliberal capitalism. That's why from its inception it has drawn the ire of Washington, D.C., and the most recent standoffs against the construction of oil pipelines at Standing Rock, Bayou Ridge, Line 3, and Unistoten Camp showed that the United States and Canada still need to plunder indigenous lands to make profit and to keep their economies afloat. Indigenous resistance in North America is at the forefront of combating imperialist plunder, and our struggles are interconnected with our relatives of the global south. It's also worth mentioning that as the U.S. and its allies now have imposed higher sanctions on their rival, their rival oligarchs in uh, Russia, um, this has sort of like stressed the contradictions in the global north in NATO countries um, because the uh, oil, our gas prices at the pump are not matching the investment of our tax dollars in the oil crusades, you know. So, <laughs> we are recognizing that and getting pissed off, and same with, like, in Ecuador, the same stuff's happening, that's why they had huge national strikes. Like, a lot of the national strikes are really caused to is there, high gas prices. I forgot to bring it up, is there still a, a national strike going on in Panama, I believe, too? Ecuador's Panama one. Just Panama just started, yeah. Woo! So, yes, yes. Indigenous land, I'm just saying, listen to us. Yes, right. and that's another one that's been, you know, this this stuff seems spontaneous to people, but they've been talking about that for months, so that stuff doesn't happen spontaneously. It is organized, folks. Organized. Venezuela. So right. Oh, oh yeah. go on. No, 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 go ahead. I was going to say, so the rights demanding further conquest of indigenous lands as the U.S. eases sanctions on Venezuela so they can uh, get cheaper oil that they can then line their park pockets with artificially inflated gas prices. Because even though they're opening up closer and cheaper gas, the prices aren't lowering as they should. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and this has led Biden to uh, passive-aggressively chastise the robber barons on Twitter, you know, like... Yeah, but he's not doing anything, dude. He's signing every contract he wants. He's, they're exactly. bragging about this, too, right? Like, Obama, you were talking about Obama making U.S. energy independent. He brags about that. He's like, that was me. I signed those oil contracts, you know? And and Biden, the same way, right? Um, you know, he's he's got, God knows how many drilling contracts out there that, that are, like, queued up, ready to use, unused. It's more than they, they even have the equipment and infrastructure to use. They're they're all for just drilling the shit out of stuff. I think you it know? was Our History is the Future is where I read that Obama said, as long as I'm in office, oil and fracking have nothing to worry about. 
Yeah, I mean, and they 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 bragged this shit, and those are the campaign promises they keep, right? Oh, oh yeah, well, oh, and those ones are easy to keep, not a hard yeah. decision. Yeah, uh, who pays for my campaign? Ah, the oil companies. Sorry, exactly. Like the whole like you know, we'll we'll give you medical care, we'll defend abortions, we'll raise the minimum wage, we'll forgive college. Those go away, but we'll give you your drilling permits. Oh yeah, that happens. Well, remember uh, when uh, Biden was like, yeah, yeah I won't. You know, go any to any private dinners or like take any money from oil lobbyists, and then they yeah. immediately found him at a dinner. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. next day. Oh yeah, that's that's the stuff that is you know again the stuff that that actually gets promised and happens is we'll reopen schools even in COVID or God even dating back to Clinton you know the all end welfare as we know it I mean, you know Biden he did that right fundamentally uh, that's the shit they do he said it out loud <laughs> yeah that's the stuff. That's the stuff that they f- they fulfill yep. their promises. Venezuela's yep. solidarity has extended beyond its borders to indigenous nations of Turtle Island or North America in 2000 and, in, in 2007. Tim Giago, a preeminent Oglala Lakota journalist, applauded Hugo Chavez and the Bolivarian Revolution for providing heating assistance to hard-hit Indian reservations, the poorest places in North America on the northern plains during the harsh winter months. Sitco Petroleum, a Venezuelan state-owned oil company, had for years donated millions of dollars of heating oil not only to reservations communities in the United States, but also to low-income black and Chicanx neighborhoods and homeless shelters. Prominent Ojibwa activist from White Earth, Winona Leduc. Ojibwa. Ojibwa. Thank you. Ojibwa. Ojibwa. Yep. Got it. Uh, Activist from White Earth, Winona Leduc, had also made the connection between the war on indigenous nations in Turtle Island and the economic war waged against Venezuela in 2016 during the Dakota Access Pipeline, DAPL, protests. She told Democracy Now! that the construction of DAPL has to do with crushing Venezuela because Venezuela has the largest oil reserves in the world. It also has to do with crushing one of Cuba's major trading partners, Venezuela. Cutting off Venezuelan oil to Cuba is part of a U.S.-led blockade against the island nation that has lasted for more than six decades and which the U.N. General Assembly annually votes to end. The Moss family, an infamous billionaire Cuban-American clan, is responsible for many of the subversive and and legislative attacks on Cuba, and much of its accumulated wealth comes from fossil fuels. The family patriarch, Jorge Mas Canosa, founded the Cuban-American National Foundation, CANIF, and Mas Tech, one of the largest self-described Latino businesses in the United States that specializes in energy, utilities, and communications infrastructure. In 2017, Mas Tech's profits rose sharply by 90% due to high demand for oil pipelines and its role in building a major section of DAPL, which trespassed through a SETI Sequoian a, a I was not, I wasn't close. A shetty Shekoween treaty lands. No, no, no. I had to take that L, baby. Uh, the goal is not only to profit from destruction of indigenous lands, but also to cross the political alternatives to neoliberal capitalism that Cuba and Venezuela represent. When looking to the left governments of the global south, we have to understand that the extractivism of the north is fundamentally based on the imperialist domination of markets, people, and territory. 
U.S.-backed economic sanctions impact nearly one-third of humanity in some 30 countries, causing untold death and devastation by denying people access to global markets. This restricts a country's ability to generate wealth, stabilize currency, and provide basic human essentials for its people. Countries like Iran, Venezuela, and Bolivia have chosen the path of resource nationalism. That is, nationalizing and developing their own resources for the benefit of their own people, and as a mechanism of protection and strength against the predation of the United States and Canada, whose notorious multinational, multinational fossil fuel and mining companies salivate with each new coup attempt. The price these nations pay for choosing self-determination, delinking from the imperialist supply, cha- imperialist supply chain, is heavy sanctioning from the U.S. that targets their civilian populations with hunger and deprivation. Sank- oh, yeah. as, as always needs to be said, sanctions are a form of warfare. The idea that they're a peace alternative to war is ridiculous. They're a form of warfare that does not cost any troops, except enough that people listen to the sanctions, um, which is mostly upheld by you you holding the world banking, and they kill specifically civilians. And it is a civilian targeting form of and warfare. And in another instance of, we should shut up and let the book talk, next sentence, sanctions... Which are <laughs> sanctions? God damn it! I was watching it happen in real time, and as a number long one rule of Mark's madness, number one oh, rule. Of I, I saw. I, I, oh I read ahead to see what the next sentence was, and I'm like, "Oh time. no, David! Oh no, David!" Oh, sanctions, which are war by other means, had already deprived nations of medical supplies, thus undermining their efforts to save lives from a global pandemic. In March 2020, the U.N. Secretary General called for a global ceasefire because the fury of the coronavirus illustrates the folly of war. How can there be a ceasefire when sanctions continue to tear through one-third of humanity faster than the pandemic? Coronavirus has shown us that U.S. imperialism holds the world back from responding to pandemics. And as we have seen with the targeting of nations who chart an alternative path, it also holds back the rest of the world from developing alternative forms of energy and sustainability. In other words, because of U.S. intervention, economies of the global south are not allowed to develop to a point where they can transition away from fossil fuels. Therefore, any climate policy must also be anti-imperialist, demanding an immediate end to genocidal sanctions and the payment of northern climate debt to the rest of the world. And with that, we are going to stop for the week because we are right at where we would normally stop for the week. And we got guys... Gals, eight pages. Eight that pages. was that was quite eight. the quite the run we went on there at the end. Uh, we we've got eight whole pages. We are ramping up, um, and coming at you next week. No, oh. no notes. Next page. Lots of Seven notes. Okay, notes. gang. So the notes are coming next. The notes are coming next week. But before then, this has been Mark's Madness Pod. We read books. There are a number of different ways that you can reach out to us. Uh, you can reach out to us through email, marksmadnesspod at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, we are at Mark's Madness Pod on Twitter. And if you go to the link in our bio on Twitter, you will find our Discord server, which is where Nathan spends most of his time. Uh, and we do book club. Uh, book club is taking a break for right now, but then getting ready to ramp back up. So if you're wanting to get in and, and vote on the next book that everyone reads and all that stuff, this is a great time to do it. Um, 
and we play video games and we watch bad TV. It's uh, it's a fun little fun little community that I'm happy to be a part of. Um, that being said, you money to uh, plugs. Uh, so first half uh, on Twitter, you can reach out to me uh, at Bands Island is my personal Twitter slash podcast Twitter, or uh, at at the Red Nation. I guess you could even reach out to and get a hold of me. Um, but otherwise, my email is probably the best place, which is just Bands of Turtle Island at gmail dot com. Um, and then I have a Cash App uh, and uh, Patreon, which. I really need money. I have a child that I need to keep diapers on, and uh, uh, you know we're we're making it. It's just a little harder to get jobs here. Our car is finally fixed and stuff, so like we're finally you know uh, able to get jobs again and stuff like that. It's just like now I'm like stay at home parenting. So like, uh, hey, uh, help me have a job actually. Uh, I'm also, like, building a garden and stuff, and I just, like, I, I need, like, a chainsaw and stuff like that. Like, there's a bunch of stuff I need to get this done, and, uh, not to mention, like, you know, renovations I have to do to, like, I don't have, like, an outside spigot. Oh, that's weird. Which is weird. Yeah, like, it's a super old, like, mining house. Like, it's so old. The insurance policy here in Michigan is you actually get taxed, you used to get taxed per closet. So there's like one <laughs> closet. <laughs> you broke the system. There's one closet. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I'm like, what the heck is this? The house is like falling in half in the middle. Oh. Like, <laughs> I don't understand. But yeah, no, it, it, you know, it holds together. So uh, other than that, um, the Red Nation has a Patreon, which is, I think, just the Red Media Press or something like that, uh, which um, it goes, like, all of this stuff goes towards um, mutual aid on Pine Ridge. We do logging drives there. Um, it funds my Sundance and a couple others. Um, it helps uh, comrades get around. We just sent a bunch of people out to Hawaii. Uh, to help uh, with the Red Hill situation. Um, we were invited by the um, Oahu Water Protectors and uh, a couple other groups I couldn't remember the names of. Unless I, like, really tried. Um, it, I don't know. There's, like, a million things. Every Saturday there's a feed in Albuquerque. You know, there's a bunch of different things, and um, it's only growing, and, you know, if you help me personally, it goes directly to the garden here in Michigan, which, like, you know, they, they get, like, $15,000 down in the southwest. Maybe maybe help the north <laughs> up, out a little. You know, Spread you know. <laughs> the love. I get, I, I now only am up to $200 a month on the Patreon, which is like, yes, that's yeah. a bill, you know? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Let's see, if we can pump, let's see if we can pump those but, numbers yeah, up. Anyway. Yeah, you know, I mean, other than that, like, if you want to, like, if you're giving me money or tier in money, uh, there's also um, this uh, Rec Bay water drive that I'm going to hound everybody on. You know, if you gave me a dollar, go give them a dollar just because they've been trying to raise $10,000 for like two years now. So, like, let's, yep, let's finish that up. They're about halfway to their goal, so you know we're almost halfway in two years. We're we're making our way. 
and there will be links links know. to all of this yeah. will be okay. in the uh, links to the show in the show notes to the show so if you're interested if any of that jumps out at you head on down to those show notes and they should be right links should all be right there uh, and that being said David it is time for a disclaimer oh yeah so um, basically the Mark's Madness side of this collaboration started when Nathan came up to me and he was like, Hey, I want to read Capital. And of course, anytime you read history, you read theory, uh, you want to be reading it in a group, um, specifically in a political education or a reading group. Um, that way you get the most out of it. Um, and so he was like, well, let's read this together. Um, and we did, and we recorded it cause the group two was kind of small and then about halfway through, we went, yeah, what the hell? Let's put this out there as a podcast. And ever since then, you guys have been here with us. And our vision from the beginning is hopefully you're out there and you're in a party, you're in a group, you're organizing, and your group's political education group or reading group is reading this along with us. And we can be another source of input, another source of context, uh, another uh, perspective. That way you're getting the most out of the work and reviewing once again to better remember it and better understand it. Um, let's say that's not happening and they're either reading something shorter or something more applicable to project they're on. Hopefully we can be that reading group. We can give you that chance to review. We can give you that context. We can give you that, that other input, everything like that. And let's say that's not happening and you're just using this as your access to the book. And it's either something like this, where we're reading it more word for word, like an enhanced ebook or something we summarize more, whatever we can do to make these works more accessible to you, because we want these works out there guiding your actions. And when theory translates into revolution, action. That's a phenomenon called praxis. And of course, um, you can't have praxis by definition without the theory backing it and guiding you. And theory is completely useless without that praxis. They go hand in hand. They are tied at the hip. Amen. As always, that being said, this is Mark's Madness Pod. My name is Nathan. My name's David. I'm Shumani too. And we will talk to y'all next week. Bye. Bye.